Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Filling in for Blake, you guys just did an awesome job today. Blake's taking some time off to go over and be with his brother who's being ordained as a deacon, which is a pretty cool thing and time that he well deserves and he works so hard and we appreciate him so much, but grateful that Matt was able to help us with that today. Uh, you know, I love a story or a book that has a twist, don't you? Maybe that's why I love Ecclesiastes, because it's got this great twist at the end. This morning, we're coming to the end of Ecclesiastes, this study, and, and you know, I've got to admit, and I think you, you feel it too, this is a hard book to deal with. It's a hard book to walk through because it's so stinking depressing, In fact, for those of you who haven't been with us, let me summarize the first eight chapters for you in 115 words. Here's how it goes. Everything is meaningless without God. Money won't fix it. Women won't fix it. Academics won't fix it. And then you die. Leaving your legacy won't fix it because you probably have a son that's a moron and he's going to waste it. God controls time and there's a time for everything. Do what you can to enjoy it. But you need to know that everyone's going to die. So try to be happy. Oppression is rampant. People are competitive. Enough is never enough. Better get you a good friend. You'll need it. Life isn't fair. Life isn't easy. Too often the bad guys win and the good guys lose. And then you die. Did I already say that? I mean, it's basically a summary of the book. It's real. It's gritty. It's postmodern. It's nihilistic. It's America in 2023. And that's why it's so relevant for us today. I mean, this thing was written 900 years before Jesus, but because and by virtue of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's as relevant right now as the headlines you're going to read later on today. I mean, it's just a book that we need to hear. And yet through all this sort of despair and, you know, morose uh, self-introspection, there is this beautiful, refreshing twist. I mean, it's just a down, I said earlier, when you read this book, it starts with a downbeat and then goes down from there until the end. And at the end, we've got this twist. It's a refreshing reversal. It really started in chapter nine, but it, it Uh, the change becomes most obvious in chapters 11 and then in chapter 12. And he says a few things that we really need to hear. And the first interesting twist that he gives us is, he says, give yourself permission to enjoy life. Look at chapter 11, verse 7. The light is pleasant, and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. And I read that and I go, wait, what? I mean, that's a total departure from the theme of this whole book, from everything that he said. I mean, he started out by saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all of his work that he does under the sun? Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. There's no real purpose in life. There's no real sense of directedness. There's just, you get by the best you can. And then all of a sudden he says, give yourself permission to enjoy life. How can that be? What happened? And here's what happened. The old man finally looked up. Remember the context of this thing. What advantage does man have in all of his labor, which he does, under the sun? And that begins to frame the context of the research. 
Everything that he's doing, his, his attempt to find meaning and purpose and significance and value is all framed under the sun. In other words, I'm trying to figure out how to make life purposeful without God, with this naturalistic worldview. And, and he keeps coming back around to say, I can't do it. But all of a sudden, he's no longer looking under the sun. Look at that verse again. He says, uh, it is good for the eyes to see the sun. He's no longer looking under the sun. He's staring at the sun. And light is streaming in. And light is a metaphor for the holy things. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Uh, we understand that God has called us the light of the world. He said, uh, you are the light of the world. He said, he said, on a hill can't be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure. But on a lampstand gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus said those words. And so light becomes metaphorical for all of those things that are holy and right and pure and sanctified. And with light comes joy and peace and love and hope and Jesus. Do you feel the change? Do you feel how positive this negative book just got? Verse 8, he says, Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. You see, unlike the postmodernists, God wants us to enjoy life. And I think that's a message that sometimes doesn't get out there. I think sometimes pastors can be guilty of sort of trying to drag people into the sloth of despair because we worry that maybe they're just a little too happy or something. And yet the Scripture repeatedly says that. The old Presbyterian Westminster Shorter Confession said, What is the chief end of man? Great question. What is the purpose of man? And listen to their conclusion. The chief end of man is to glorify God... And here's the crazy part, and enjoy him forever. Wait, he didn't say, do your duty. He didn't say, obey him religiously. They said the chief end of man is to glorify God. I do that through the way I live and the declaration of praise for my life. And then I enjoy him for the rest of my days. Um, he created you to enjoy life. Today, right now, this day, you, you, you need to be able to enjoy life. You, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. Look what he says in, that, in the rest of that verse. And let him remember the days of darkness. Man, I just came out of a month-long sickness. Prior to that, the longest I've probably ever been sick in my life was I had the mumps when I was like in the first or second grade. That was it. And, and the days get dark, man, when you're sick for a long time. And so when you finally do feel good, it's easy to feel really good. And he says, you know, remember the days of darkness, for there'll be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. I mean, I get it. Quit putting it off. Dark days are coming. Life is short. God wants to bless you with so much more than that. Verse 9, rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Now watch this. And let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. I, I, I read that and I thought, now there's advice you don't hear every day from a pastor. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. I mean, seriously? What in the world? Again, he's not saying go out and follow every sinful impulse. 
Notice there's a little warning at the end of that, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. That's a loving reminder that this isn't talking about losing your mind on some Cancun spring break debauchery. He's not talking about the impulse to sin. He's talking about the impulse for joy. And isn't that liberating? That you give yourself permission to enjoy life. Every feature of it, every phase of it. Act a little crazy. Go for it. Be impulsive every once in a while. Look, I've never regretted those times when I threw caution to the wind. When I was going to get married to Amy, I was trying to plan for a honeymoon with no money. And I said, you know what? This is a one-off. I get to do this one time in my life. I had a motorcycle at the time, so I sold it. Took the money from the motorcycle, got my income tax return, kept it, did everything I could to save enough money on a youth minister's salary, and I blew every bit of it on five days in the Virgin Islands with Amy Dye. And my only regret is that I didn't have better credit because I would have stayed longer. I might still be there. Forget you, Dave Ramsey. <laughs> I'd do it again tomorrow, man, in a heartbeat. One day I came home and said, let's go to Disney World. My brother was at Disney World. He said, hey, we're at Disney World. Come join us. I went home and said, Amy, let's go to Disney World. She said, can we do that? I said, well, we're married and we're grown up. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> we didn't have any money, any plan, any nothing. We just went. I wish we'd do it far more times than we did. Follow the impulses of your heart. Find those joyful things and go after them. And don't live your life with regret. And don't live your life always trying to plan everything to the max. You know, the older I get, the more I plan. And sometimes that just wrecks the moment. Life is hard. Responsibility's coming. Everything comes to futility. I get it. But not today. Today I'm going to live. What's Psalm 118 say? This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You know what Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. One of the reasons maybe that we're so out of strength and out of energy and, you know, out of out of laughter and out of all those things, maybe we haven't let the, the joy of the Lord be our strength. Um, man. Verse 11, so remove grief and anger from your heart. That's an interesting translation there. Grief and anger. I made it all caps so you could see it because that's a single word in the Hebrew. But because it's hard to capture, they put two nuances to it when they translate it. You almost never see them do that in translation. The idea behind it is bitterness. What, they're, what they mean by that is don't let yourself become a cynical, bitter old man or woman. Get it out of your heart. Put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. So let me ask you again, what will it take to give yourself permission to enjoy life? You see, God's given you that permission. And what's interesting to me is he gives it in the most depressing book in the Bible because he's turning a corner here. 
And he's no longer looking at life under the sun, but he's beginning to look at the sun and he's beginning to see the light of Christ come filtering through. There's a second surprise ending here. Come to Christ as soon as possible. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. And I read that, I'm like, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Wait a second. Let's go back to the introduction. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, says the preacher. I mean, what a difference in the conclusion from the introduction. What in the world's going on? Here's a man that had tried life without God, and it was vanity. Now he's come full circle. It's kind of like that old Waylon Jennings song, you know, uh, old porch swings and, and nursery rhymes. And, and there's a line in that song that says, uh, Look how far I had to come to get back where I started from. That's where Solomon's come full circle. He's come back around. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And that word remember doesn't mean don't forget. Because this is a word that was used frequently in the Old Testament, often used of God. And it would say, God remembered his promise to Abraham. God remembered his promise to David. It's not as if God could somehow forget the promise. It's not like me. He doesn't walk into a room and go, let me see, why did I come in here? You know, And you stand around in there until you can figure out what you were in there for. And then you try to remember it. It's not that he's saying, stop forgetting. But that word really means to act decisively on behalf of someone. God remembered his promise to Abraham and acted decisively on behalf of Abraham. God remembered his promise to David and acted decisively on behalf of David. And he's saying, remember your creator in the same way. Act decisively on behalf of your creator. Put your faith and trust in the creator that you, that you, that you were able to know and do it as soon as possible. Act decisively. Do it as soon as possible while you're young. Don't put it off. Some people think, well, I'll, I'll use God as fire insurance, see? Right? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to live however I want for my whole life. And then when I come to the end of my life, I'll accept Jesus as my Savior. And then I'll go to heaven and be with God. That's exactly what Constantine the Great did. He was an emperor of Rome in the uh, three, early 300s. He was the emperor. His mother was a Christian, and he'd won a decisive battle, and he had had a dream to put the Cairo on the shields of his army, and because of that, he attributed the victory to Jesus, and he became emperor of Rome. Ultimately, he's the guy that made Christianity the official religion of Rome, but the first thing he did was he stopped the persecution. But he never accepted Christ. His mother was a Christian. He didn't want to accept Christ. He wanted to live his whole life and do whatever he wanted to do. And at the very end, he would get baptized. That was Constantine. And there are people who do that today. That's the most miserable thing a man can do. John 10.10 said this, I came that they might have life and have it. What kind of life? Abundantly. The Christian life is just not just fire insurance for eternity. It's an abundant life right now. Right now. And to put that off would be a tragedy. The sooner you find Christ, the richer your life's going to be. And that's what Solomon's saying. Don't put it off. Come to Jesus as soon as you can before age makes it harder to enjoy. I mean, it's wonderful. It's awesome when an elderly person comes to faith in Christ. But there's a sadness to that, too, because they missed so much of life with Jesus. And they missed so many opportunities for the abundant life. 
And then here comes age. And Solomon, I've, I've got a lady in our church, she's 96, and she looks like she's 70. She still drives. She's just an amazing human being. And after I preached this, she came up to me this morning and said, man, you're making age sound bad. It's been pretty good for me. I said, you're an exception. I was talking to her one time, and I said, do you remember World War II? Oh, yeah. I said, did you go to those UFO dances? She goes, oh, yeah. She said, I brought one home one time. <laughs> go down here to the, the base when it was a bomber base, and they dance with the GIs, you know, Benny Goodman and that stuff. Isn't it amazing that that generation's still with us? She said, man, you're making aging sound bad. Well, Solomon makes it sound bad. He uses three metaphors to describe aging. The first is the coming storm. It says in verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon, the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. Now, don't miss that part. The clouds return after the rain. You see, normally when a storm blows through, after the storm blows through, what happens? The sky clears. But in this case, the clouds keep coming back. And that's a reference to aging, and it may have to do with the fog of the mind. The fog of the mind. Maybe that's what's going on there. The sky never quite clears. The second metaphor he uses, the word pictures of an old house. In the days that the watchmen of the house tremble, he's talking about his body. Maybe that's the hands. You know, the hands begin to, we get a little shaky as we grow older. And the mighty men stoop. And I think that's probably a reference to the legs. Our legs are the, are the towers that, that, that hold us up. And in time, they begin to bend and stoop. The grinding ones stand idle because they are few. <laughs> That's the teeth. They're the grinding ones. And notice, they stand idle because they're few. Your teeth start falling out, and then you have to drink everything through a straw. You know, that's what he's talking about. Those that look through the windows grow dim. That's a reference to sight. Man, that could be frustrating. We got, we've got reader glasses all over our house. You know, you'll sit on them, look for them. They're there everywhere because our sight's bad. The last one's hearing, and the doors of the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. You know, we were in Africa. I was with Joey, our missions pastor, his wife, Lori, Amy, and I, and we're nine hours behind them. Our time schedule's nine hours off, and so you're all messed up. So you're waking up at like four in the morning. And so we'd get up in the morning, we'd have coffee, and we'd go out and sit on our balcony and watch the sun come up and then watch the town come alive. And this town, Busia, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, no, no paved streets, dirt roads. Uh, people are getting up. The chickens are running out of the houses. Uh, you know, they're carrying water. Uh, they're, you can hear the, the Islamic call for prayer over the, over the tower, over the loudspeakers. And so, you know, you're kind of getting this whole feel of Africa and what it feels like to sit up there. And we're sitting up there talking, and, and I look up, and there's a cow walking down the street. And I said, did y'all see that cow? And Joey said, did you say Al? And Lori said, where's the owl? And Amy said, how do you know there's an owl? Did you hear it? And I said, it's not an owl, it's a cow. And we all just roared with laughter. That's an old person conversation. <laughs> That's what happens. Did you see the cow? Where's the owl? How do you know there's an owl? <laughs> and here's what's ironic. Even though you can't hear, look at that next thing that he says and one will arise at the sound of a bird. You've lost your hearing, but the least little thing will wake you right up, and all the daughters of the song will sing softly. It's a reference to not being able to sleep. 
And then he gives that third word picture, the old man. And I just thought I'd read this out of the New Living, uh, verse 5, because it interprets and translates all at once, and I think it gets it right. It says, remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about the danger in the streets, before your hair turns white like an almond tree in blossom, and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. <laughs> now, that's pretty good. I don't like the idea of being a dying grasshopper, but there's truth in that. The caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the, the mourners will weep at your funeral. Man, I read this and I start getting depressed. I'm like, way to, way to perk me up, Solomon. Getting old is not for cowards. <clears throat> Remember him, verse 6, before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. You know, he's already said in Ecclesiastes 3.20 that we came from dust, we're returning to dust. And if you think about your life, here it is. Life is just that brief moment where the dust gets organized. And it's so brief. And this is the only one you get. And yet so many people live it with so much despair and so much anxiety and so much depression and so much bitterness. Vanity of vanities, verse 8 says, to preacher, all is vanity. That's why you need him early, so don't grow old into a bitter cynic. And I was thinking, how can I move this beyond a discussion into something that you would really appreciate and feel? I want to use two quick illustrations that I've used before. They're a couple of illustrations that really resonate with me to sort of highlight the unique difference and, and to help you understand what's saw. The first is an illustration that comes out of the old movie City Slickers. Billy Crystal's character uh, is a dad. He's been invited to uh, his kids' show and tell, and he's, it's like career day, and he's describing what he does, and he's going to have to tell this group of fourth-grade kids what he does. He basically sells advertisement on a radio station. The guy in front of him is like a police officer, and so the kids are all you know big-eyed and saucer-eyed and uh, how cool would it be to have, be a dad with a, as a police officer. And in the middle of this, his sort of existential crisis kicks in, and he goes off script, and he, he, he says this, value this time in your life, kids. And remember, he's talking to a bunch of four, fourth graders. Because this is a time in your life when you still have your choices. It goes by fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. 30s, you raise a family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? 40s, you grow a little pot belly, you grow another chin, the music starts to get too loud. One of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. 50s, you have a minor surgery, you call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. 60s, you'll have a major surgery, the music's still too loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. 70s, you and your wife retire to Fort Lauderdale, you start eating dinner at 2 in the afternoon, you have lunch around 10 o'clock, breakfast the night before. <laughs> I think we had breakfast for dinner last night. I'm not sure. Spend the most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? 80s, you have a major stroke. You end up babbling with some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but who you call mama. Any questions? <laughs> I mean, it was meant to be comedy, and it is because, you know, it's directed at a bunch of fourth graders, but 
there's, it's really tragic because there's a lot of truth in it because that really defines a lot of people's lives. Compare that sad, meaningless life with a second illustration I yet love to use, especially in parenting classes. This is a thing by Bob Benson called Laughter in the Walls. Listen to this. I pass a lot of houses on my way home, some pretty, some expensive, some inviting. But my heart always skips a beat when I turn down the road and see my house nestled against the hill. I guess I'm especially proud of the house and the way it looks because I drew the plans myself. Started out large enough for us, even had a study. Two teenage boys now reside in there. And it had a guest room. My girl and nine dolls are permanent guests. Had a small room Peg had hoped would be a sewing room. The two boys swinging on the Dutch door have claimed this room as their own. So it really doesn't look right now like I'm much of an architect, but it will get larger again. One by one, they will go away to work, to college, to service, to their own houses. And then there will be room, a guest room, a study, a sewing room, just for the two of us. But it won't be empty. Every corner, every room, every nick in the coffee table will be crowded with memories. Memories of picnics, parties, Christmases, bedside vigils, summers, fires, winters, going barefoot, leaving for vacation, cats, Conversations, black eyes, graduations, first dates, ball games, arguments, washing dishes, bicycles, dogs, boat rides, getting home from vacation, meals, rabbits, and a thousand other things that fill the lives of those who would raise five. And Peg and I will sit quietly by the fire and listen to the laughter in the walls. Two very different responses to, to aging. One describes an empty life, the other describes a full life. One is the life without Christ, the other is the life with Christ at the center. So which life would you prefer? Can I ask that? You see, that's the whole point of this book. See, Solomon set us up on this deal. He started out as if he was just going to write this treatise on meaningless life. It, it felt like a postmodern thing, but he was setting us up. And he tells us that. Look at 12.9. He said, I searched out and arranged Proverbs. In verse 10, he says, I sought delightful words. In other words, the whole structure of this book was deliberate. It was intentional. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They're given by one shepherd. Solomon said, I deliberately arranged all of this like well-driven nails. He wanted this truth to penetrate our defenses and explode in our soul. And so rather than just describing postmodernism, rather than just describing despair and the haunting reality of life without God, he forced us to feel it by forcing us into his world, into his perspective. In fact, it was so bleak that in the beginning, as you read this book, you think, God, why did you even put this book in the Bible? Did you ever think that as you were trying to wade through this thing with me? But he wanted us to feel it because if it doesn't get past your head and into your heart, you won't experience the pain. And if you don't experience the pain, you won't want the cure. And so he said, here's what it's like to live without Jesus. You don't want to go there. I've been there. And so what seemed like a research paper on postmodernism was really a sermon on the power of the gospel. And now at the end, he brings us back to a simple truth and a simple choice. So let's look at his conclusion. Verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is, 
Fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. After wading through this complicated quagmire of despair, he comes back to one simple truth. It's all about Jesus. Fear God. That doesn't mean be afraid of God. That means reverentially fear the sovereign God who made you and desires a relationship with you. Fear him enough to deliver your life fully over to him and keep his commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this is his testimony. This is his story. And his story is a cautionary tale. Don't be like me. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Fear God. Keep his commandments. We make it so complicated, but it really comes back to this. Here's your choice, and this is the summation of the book. You can waste your life searching for something that doesn't exist, which is purpose without God. Solomon said, trust me, been there, done that. Or you can walk with God from an early age and know the blessing of a life that is full and meaningful right now, and then when you die, live forever with Jesus. Simple truth, simple choice. And it has never been more clear than in 2023 America right now because that's exactly where our world is. And the choice, he said, this applies to every person, whether you live 900 BC or whether you live right now, this applies to you through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's your choice. You can either live your life in despair and misery and meaninglessness, or you can discover a God who loves you, who's got an abundant life for you right now, And when you die, you get to spend eternity with Jesus. That's your choice. So what are you going to do about it? Would you pray with me right now and let's just go before the Lord. Father, I am so grateful for your incredible insight. I don't know why it surprises me because you're omniscient. And you wrote these words 3,000 years ago through your servant Solomon for us right now today. And the choice is simple and clear. We can either live our lives searching for something that doesn't exist, which is purpose without you, or we can enjoy the abundant life that comes through Jesus. Father, I pray for those who have not made this choice that in this moment they would give their heart fully over to you. I thank you that it's not based on our performance. It's not based, it's just by faith. By, by, by grace you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God. And if you don't know Jesus right now, why don't you just say to him, Father, best I know how, I'm going to give all that I understand about me to all that I understand about you. I just received Christ. I cry out to you. Come and save me right now. I confess my sin. I need you. Father, we thank you that there's there's salvation in no other name and that you've given us all we need. And I thank you for the salvation that occurred in this place and is occurring right now through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. 
Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.